Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. We good? All right. Um, at this time, we'll, we'll go ahead and dismiss um, the kids 3 to 5 and 6 and 7 uh, to the little district um, where they will be learning about God both saving Daniel and uh, defeating Jericho uh, through Joshua and the Israelites. We just pray that the Lord would work in their lives this morning. Um, how's everyone doing? All right? Sorry, I, I, song made me a little emotional. Um, I love singing about the Trinity, right? We all should. Um, Yeah, all right. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Jonah chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're jumping into uh, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Um, If you're able to say you have favorite books, um, this is one of them for me. Um, Most of you guys know I've, I've got a tattoo of a whale on my arm that reminds me uh, of how much I can be like Jonah. And so this is uh, one of my favorite books to be able to walk through. So I'm excited in the next six, seven weeks that we'll be able to see God's beautiful mercy and grace to sinners like us through this book. Um, before we jump in, as you're turning there, um, I just want to tell you, Jonah is um, not only a s- story that is dear to my heart, not, a, not only a book that I love, but it's a story for us all. Jonah uh, oftentimes is seen as a fable or a fairy tale, or when we think about Jonah, we think of a fish or a whale. Um, um, Actually, the last time I had a conversation with somebody about the book of Jonah, um, or even just scripture, Jonah came up, and the guy was like, this is why I can't believe in the Bible, because I, I can't believe that a fish would swallow a man. And so he, he took the fact that he, Jonah being swallowed by a fish as he's going to just discredit the whole thing. So most people will look at Jonah and have that same attitude, have that same mindset. Or they'll look at it like a children's story or a fairy tale. But it is so much more than that. Jonah shows us the reality of this sinful, broken world and the sinful people that we often are. It gives us a distinctly biblical perspective of what it means to care for our city, to care for the relationships that God has given to us, to care for the world that he has placed around us. Jonah shows us, really, the, the theme of Scripture. In Jonah 2.9, we find that the main point of this whole book, and really, if you're in a an elevator, and somebody were to say, what is the Christian life? Give me this elevator pitch. You can give them this verse. Salvation is from the Lord. And that's what we see here in this book, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And what Jonah shows us is that God, in his transforming grace, can save even the hardest of hearts. It can transform even the hardest of hearts Those who you think he can't save, he can. And Jonah reminds us of that. As Charles Spurgeon would say, as long as there is breath in somebody's lungs, there is hope to be had that God can save and that God can transform. And that's what Jonah shows us. Anthony Carter, in his book, Running for Mercy, which has been very close to my heart as we have begun to plan through and think through what this series would look like. If you get a chance, I I would go find it and read it. It's a beautiful book. But in his book, he calls Jonah every man's prophet. Because Jonah the prophet is much like us all. We can see ourselves in Jonah. And I hope that in the next couple of weeks, you can actually say, hey, that is me oftentimes when it comes to mercy. I can be reluctant to show mercy to someone who I don't think deserves mercy. Any of you have been there before? Or you've looked at someone and you're like, nah, I can't show you mercy. All the while, God has been showing you mercy and has shown you mercy 
in Christ. We see Jonah being very disobedient to God's call. We too can fall into that. The Great Commission is still there for us, and yet we can be disobedient to God's call to go and make disciples. Jonah is every man's prophet. This book is said to be written by Jonah himself, a sort of a humbled prophet who is showing his readers a confession, a confession of his sinful heart when it comes to God's will and his call to go and share repentance, share that the Lord is the Lord of salvation. It is also a confession showing his readers how ridiculous it is to try and run from the will of God and his plans. And that God is a relentless God to show mercy to sinners like this prophet and like us. But the book of Jonah is actually not about Jonah. What's interesting is when you read through this book, and I hope that you guys have been, I've gotten text messages, some of us have begun to read and see how God is working through this book, and I I love that. Keep doing it. But one of the things that you can highlight or take a look at of how Jonah writes this book is to see who he mentions the most. And what we're getting a picture of when we see that is who's the main character. You see, Jonah is not a story about a fish. This fish is mentioned four times. It's not a story about the Ninevites, who are mentioned nine times through this book. It's not even about the prophet who it's named after, who's named 18 times in this book. Anybody want to take a guess about who this book is truly about? God. Yeah? God is mentioned 38 times in this book that signifies for us he is the main character. Jonah is not about Jonah. Jonah is about God. This book reveals his character and his attributes, mainly the attribute of mercy, that God is a merciful God. And he loves to show mercy to sinners like us. We see this in both a micro and macro way in Jonah's life and in Jonah's story. We see the micro way in which God continues to show mercy to Jonah even in his disobedience. And then we see the macro level of mercy where God shows mercy to the sailors who get introduced into the story as well as the Ninevites. God is a God who loves to show mercy. And not only does he love to show mercy, he is relentless in showing mercy to sinners like us. And this is good news for us this morning. It's good news for our lives that God is a merciful God and he loves to show us mercy. So this is my point this morning, that everything else is going to flow from and really what we're going to see as we walk through these next six to seven weeks, taking a look at Jonah, that God is a merciful God. And so we'll take a look at these first two verses, and this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's very interesting about this passage about these two verses is uh, when I was studying this week um, trying to kind of get commentary and, and see you know is there any language or nuance that I need to figure out to be able to explain what's going on I found that there were not a lot of people that started talking about this book being about God from these two verses and I thought to myself, man, I, I am excited. I, I texted a couple people in our church this week that was like, man, I am jacked for Jonah because of these first two verses that show us the mercy of God. They show us God's plan of redemptive history and God's call to not only Jonah, but to us to be a part of this work. And so I, I hope that you guys get as excited as I do in this, this morning 
as we take a look at God's plan to save. So let me pray and we can jump into taking a look at God's character and his plan. Lord, you are good. Lord, as we sang this morning, we, we are so thankful for what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, that you had a plan before the foundation of the earth to call people to yourself, both Jew and Gentile, among all nations. And as, I, as we take a look at Jonah this morning, Lord, help us to see your character, your goodness, and your mercy. Help us to find comfort and joy in this call, this commission of Jonah, as well as to us, to go and share this good news of Jesus Christ that has come to save sinners like us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been around a church for a while, uh, you might have heard us talk about, or you might have even been around for the sermon series where we walk through the Christian story, the Christian belief, and the Christian formation. And what I want us to see this morning is that Jonah is a part of that Christian story. Now when we say Christian story, what we mean is that the scriptures are made up of God's beautiful narrative of saving and growing his people, both in Israel and the Gentile nations around. Ben Franklin actually, as reading a uh, biography talking about a narrative, he says that he who controls the media controls the narrative. And that's oftentimes what we see even today, right? Bobette Buster also says narrative is the culture's currency. He who tells the best story wins. We all have a narrative. Right? We all have a narrative running through our head of how things are, how they ought to be, how they might have been. We all have this narrative. And as believers, we have a narrative from Scripture that shows us what's right and wrong, who we are, how we should respond to this world, and where we should find ultimate joy and comfort and satisfaction. But we live in a world with competing narratives, right? Right? We live in a world that tells us different things, how we should look, how we should act, who we should be. There are false stories of romanticism, consumerism, individualism, perfectionism, progressivism, all these competing false stories that pull our affections, pull our thoughts into these narratives, away from the narrative of Scripture. The reality is, as a believer, we need to battle and denying these false stories that come up against us. We need to recognize them, we need to confess them, and then we commit ourselves to the one true story, the narrative of God's story, the story of redemption, showing how God, through Jesus Christ, saves a people to himself that they might live in community with him. This is the true story of the Bible. This is why it's important for us to know the scriptures, to know who God is and how he has revealed himself through his word and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because as J.T. English would say, you can't participate in a story you don't know and you will participate in your default false story regularly. And the reason I bring this up, this story that we need to tap into, that we need to continue to run to, this true story of God's Word, we're reminded of this in this first phrase in Jonah, where this first verse says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This phrase in the Old, uh, in the Old Testament really should be translated, and, and it was in the King James and New King James. Now, I'm not advocating that we move back to that, but I do agree that the way that it's translated when it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, is reflecting and showing us that 
this is a continued story that is happening, right? If you were to start a paper in your English class with and, your teacher is going to be like, and what? Where, like, what is this connected to, right? But that phrase, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, reminds us as readers that we are a part of a story that has been happening before the foundation of the earth. Well, you are a part, as you're reading this, a part of a story from Genesis 3.15, where God gives the first gospel message that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. This phrase is used 14 times in Old Testament literature, coming up in a lot of prophetic books of the Bible like this one, where it's a constant reminder that there is a story going on, this continual story of God's grace and mercy. This is connected to what we read last week in talking about God's covenant with Abraham. Right, if you remember from what Dwayne preached on last week, the, the covenant was made in Genesis 12, and that covenant ends with God telling Abraham, I will, bless the, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. But this is the promise, and in you all the families on the earth shall be blessed. And so this promise is continuing through the Old Testament. It isn't just for the people of God. Here we find in this covenant made with Abraham that this promise of a blessing would come to all nations, all people, because God has a redemptive story to save and to call people to himself. And so Jonah, in that first phrase, is reminding us that God is a covenant-keeping God, that God is keeping his covenant, even through tragedy, even through some of the hardest times. If you look at where Jonah is placed in Israel's history, it's, it's not going well. And yet God is reminding his people, I am a covenant-keeping God. As he tells us, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This covenant-keeping God who shows us that he has a plan of redemption and salvation and that he's continuing to fulfill this covenant to grow his people. This covenant God, in reading a passage like this or reading a phrase like this, should bring us hope and should bring us joy, right? There's a theological word for this, and it's the immutability of God, that he does not change. In a world that is constantly changing, right? We've talked about this before. It is constantly changing. We have, I mean, even just look at the weather outside, right? Last week, we, it's five degrees and sunny. There was no snow on the ground. And this week, we can barely get out of our own driveways. And in a couple weeks, shoot, even next week, knowing Indiana's weather, that snow could be melted and it might be 60 degrees, Right? We see change in our weather. We see change in people. We see change in jobs. There's change all around us. And change isn't a bad thing. But what's even better is a constant, and that is God, that he does not change. The scriptures show us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6 tells us this characteristic of him, for I, the Lord, do not change. Isaiah 46.10 reminds us the same truth, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes. James in the New Testament reminds us that we should not be deceived, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Scripture shows us that even in the midst of our changing world, filled with highs and lows, good seasons and bad, prosperity and suffering. God does not change. So while our love for God may waver, while our communion with God may not feel like it's there, it is. 
as believers in Christ, because we have been united in Christ, we know the truth that our union is secured and that God does not change. And I hope that you're able to take this gospel truth with you in any and every circumstance. Week in and week out. As Paul tells to Timothy, preach this to yourselves and to your people because it will save you and save them. But this is a promise that I want to continue to give to you. That God does not change. He is constant. He is faithful. And he is good. And his plan to redeem his people and grow them into the image of Christ will not fail. And so because we see this consistent theme that is happening throughout, we can see the character and nature of God. That he is merciful, that he keeps his covenant with his people. And he has called us into this covenant through the blood of Christ. And as we trust in him as Lord, he adopts us as sons and daughters. And then, as we'll see, he calls us back into the world he, want, he called us out of. Right? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God who have been called out of the darkness into this marvelous light. And now we are to go back into the darkness with this light to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. What a beautiful call that we get. And we are secured in knowing that when we go, we have the promise that God is going to redeem and God is going to save. And it is God's work in us that is growing his kingdom. And we're secured that God does not change. And this promise is continuing and will continue on far after we're gone. But we can have hope in this, that God is a God who does not change and God is a God who is continuing to grow his kingdom and redeem sinners like us because he loves to show mercy. The second thing I want us to see this morning from this call to Jonah is that God is a merciful God who sanctifies his people by calling them out of their comfort zones. This is why I love Jonah, and it's one of the reasons why this book has shaped my life. Because this reality right here is true. The sanctification of the believer by God calling you out of your comfort zone. You see, most of you guys may know a little bit of my story of being called to a, being a pastor. I felt this calling, this internal calling at 15. So whenever somebody comes up to me and says, how did you know what you wanted to do in life? Or how did you know to choose? Or, it's, like, it's like, I'm sorry, like the Lord told me. Um, and then as we like, will practice in this church, it's not just the internal calling. There's a lot of external callings and affirmations as well. But 15, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. But I also knew that I did not want to do this. There was a wrestling and a tension because I, I knew just one scripture verse from James that talked about not everybody should be teachers because judgment is going to come to teachers of God's word. That made me fearful of being a pastor. And so I did anything and everything I could. I tried to go play college football. God was like, no, it's not going to happen. I, I even went to school and was like, you know what? I'll be a teacher. I'll be a math teacher. I love math. My dad was a math teacher. I could do this. And I can have an impact on students' lives, right? And God was like, no. I remember my first evangelism class in school. And all I remember the teacher saying is, because uh, we were walking through the passage of where Peter stepped out of the boat, trusting the Lord, keeping his eyes fixed on him as he steps into a, a stormy waters. And the application from that, my teacher was like, some of you are going to have to just trust the Lord with your life and trust the Lord with his plans for your life 
And that includes, and I didn't hear anything else after what he said, he said that includes some of you changing your major to where God is calling you this morning. And I was like, all right, Lord. And the class walked out, changed my major. And I would love to say that I, from that day on, I was like, all right, cool, I'm walking down this path. The Lord is calling me a pastor. No, there's still, God had to continue to draw me back to this because I was fearful. And there still is a fear of leading you all, right? It's a healthy fear, I hope. Um, But there's a fear. And this is why I love Jonah. Because it it, it reminds me of that time. It still reminds me to this day of, of how God was merciful to me and calling me to being a pastor here and being a pastor where I previously was. But this is what God does, right? He calls us out of our comfort zones for his glory and for our joy. We see this with Jonah, right? God calls him out of Israel to go preach to the Ninevites. Now, we get the perspective of taking a look at this and being like, oh, cool, God is calling Jonah to go and fulfill the promise of Abraham, uh, that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. But I want us to take a look or at least try to put ourselves in Jonah's context, in Jonah's shoes, right? This had never happened before. God had not called, at least in our recordings of Scripture, any of Israel's prophets to go and preach the, the good news of repentance and trusting in the Lord to a Gentile nation. Israel as a nation was supposed to do that, which they continued to fail, which is why they need and we need Jesus. But we never had a prophet individually called out to go, right? So that's the first thing that we need to think about when we look at Jonah and maybe try to place ourselves in his shoes. But the second thing, and again, this is a pretty big deal for Jonah as well as his readers, for him to be called to Nineveh. Because the scriptures tell us that Jonah was a pretty big deal as a prophet, right? During the time of Jonah's life, um, the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdom, was not doing well, right? So most of the times, prophets would come and prophesy, like, you guys need to repent, you guys need to trust in the Lord, or God's wrath is coming upon us. So we get to 2 Kings 14, and this is what's happening in the life of Jeroboam and the nation of Israel. But then we find in 1425, chapter 14, verse 25, this prophet who predicts the expansion of Israel. And I know that's probably not super important for us, but what it it shows us is that Jonah received a prophetic vision that something of a blessing was going to come to Israel. And like all prophets, if it came true, then it was the word of the Lord. If it didn't, that prophet would be stoned. This vision and prediction comes true. And so Jonah's, I mean, everybody's like, okay, this this dude, yeah, he's a prophet of the Lord. And not only that, all these other prophets are telling us how we need to change, but this guy is preaching a blessing over us that finally came true. So you can just imagine that Jonah would just be sitting comfortable, right? He would not be persecuted or pursued or thrown out of Israel. Maybe he got a book deal, uh, his own TV series, how to expand the borders, a little DIY project. What we see in 2 Kings, as well as what, should highlight, what we should see in Jonah, is when God is calling him out to the Ninevites, the place where he's at is a very comfortable place. And God is calling him out of his comfort zone. And he's not calling him to just another tribe in Israel who might hate him. He's calling him to a Gentile nation. And not just a Gentile nation, a very wicked Gentile nation. I mean, we see this in verse 2 where God tells him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. If you take a quick look at history, the Ninevites were the people of Assyria, right? Nineveh was the capital of the nation Assyria. Assyria. 
I don't know if Siri's coming up, but the Ninevites were a wicked people, especially to Israel, especially to the people of God. They were so cruel whenever they conquered a nation that it said that they would make art out of their skulls and their bones of the people that they conquered. There's a lot more that I could go into, but just trust me, or you can go do some reading this week to see Assyria was a very wicked and evil nation. We see in the Old Testament, just a hundred years later, through the prophet Nahum, that final judgment comes to Nineveh because of their wickedness. But here we see the call to Jonah to go and preach the good news to them, to come out of his comfort zone, to go to a wicked people and preach that they would trust in the Lord. God is calling Jonah to these people who have wronged him and wronged his people. That's what I want us to understand in this call, is that God isn't just calling him to a different tribe. God is calling him to a people, a nation that has harmed him, that has wronged him. And in the next coming weeks, we'll take a look at Jonah's disobedience. But for now, I want us to just take into consideration this call to Jonah. Because I think we have the ability to take a look at this call that Jonah gets and think, it doesn't seem that bad. Or why would Jonah be disobedient? But to the modern day reader, or to a reader in that time, as well as Jonah himself, this would have been a big deal. This would have been a big deal. The question I have for this morning for us, when it comes to God calling Jonah to a people that have wronged him, what if we were to remove Jonah and put our own names in there? How do you think we would have responded? What do you think we would have done? To put this in perspective, this would have been like somebody someone's family on 9-11 being called to go spread the gospel in the Middle East a month later in October. Or someone from the Holocaust to go back to Nazi Germany and preach. Or even an African-American slave brought over in the slave trade to be a slave here in America who was then freed to go and preach the gospel on the plantation they weren't, were once a slave. That's the weightiness of this call that Jonah has. God was calling Jonah to a people who had wronged him. And what we'll find later is that God doesn't take no for an, for an answer from Jonah. But that's for the next coming weeks. But here is a prophet who was comfortable where he was at, living a very comfortable life. And God calls him out of his comfort zone to go and preach repentance to a wicked Gentile nation. And here's what we can learn from this. The reality of this call as believers now has not changed. Right? The call has not changed. The Great Commission has been given to all of us. God has not rescinded this call to us as believers. We are called as the church, as God's people, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that Jesus had commanded. H.B. Charles Jr. says, no matter how prominent or successful a church may seem to be, if they are not making disciples, they are out of the will of God. And that includes us. If we are not making disciples as a church, we are out of God's will. We are being disobedient like Jonah. And this may mean, and will most likely mean for all of us, that we have to get out of our comfort zones one way or another. And God will not take no for an answer. This is our call as believers, to go and make disciples. Now, I have some good and bad news for you when it comes to this. When you're pursuing the Lord and His will, there are going to be times when the gospel will call you out of that comfort zone. It will call you out of a security blanket, and it will challenge you 
But I promise you that there's no other joy and satisfaction than being in the will of God, than being obedient to his call. As Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is what the gospel does. It frees us to get outside of our comfort zones. It frees us to go and preach the gospel to people who have wronged us. It frees us to go share the gospel in our neighborhoods, to go to coffee shops every single week, to get to know your barista, to eventually be able to share the gospel with them, to be able to enter into conversations that can seem super weird. Like, I was telling Sarah this uh, last night um, as we were preparing some of our equip workbooks. I get to hang around with some unbelievers from my CrossFit gym. And one of the questions that I got, because they know I'm a pastor, was, this happened last night actually, they asked me, do you think God is a man or a woman? And so we got to get into that conversation, because they know what I believe, they know where I stand, and they know I am a pastor, and they're comfortable enough because we have shared life together, and probably shared some struggles within CrossFit that are like, you know what, I've seen you work out, I've shared in this struggle. Let's talk. But it's through that consistent relationship going back and, and doing life with people and being able to be a light in a dark place that a God has afforded me those opportunities. And this is the same call for us all, right? We need to figure out ways in which we can share this gospel with those around us. Stepping out of our comfort zones, whatever that might look like, and for some of you, that is going to look different than others. I feel like the last time I preached this sermon, I had a family come up and was like, we're going we're gonna to leave and we're going to become missionaries. And I was like, dang it. Like, okay, this is good. Praise God, but I don't want to lose you. But I'm preaching the same thing. Some of you might, not, might be feeling a burden right now that you've got to go to a third world country or you've got to go to a, a country that does not have the gospel present. Praise God, we want to get behind you on that. But for the most of us, it's probably that we just need to get out of our comfort zones in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and share life and share the gospel with those around us. We are called to make disciples. This proclamation is given to us, and we need to be obedient to it. This is what we see in Jonah. But not only do we see this in Jonah, we also see this from the greatest example that we have. Jesus Christ, right? The Son of God, who left the comfort of the Trinity to become the incarnate Christ and dwell among sinners like us. Philippians 2, Paul reminds us of this. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gives us this greatest example. And it's a reminder that God is a missionary God. That he stepped out of eternity put on flesh to dwell among us, to live a life that we could never live, die a sinner's death that we rightly deserved, and rose from the grave three days later and is now seated at the right hand of God. I mean, this is the creed we read this morning, right? Jesus' life and his example should compel us to go. I mean, the Great Commission, if we understand how the, the Greek works, I hope you've heard this before. If not, write it down and, and try to remember it. Um, in the Greek, the command is, as you are going, make disciples. And this is our call. To step out of our comfort zones. As we are going, make disciples. And finally, what we see in this passage is another characteristic and attribute of God in his mercy. That he is a merciful God who does not let evil have the last word. You see, the prophet Jonah reveals this 
holy and righteous and just God in, these last, in this last verse. When God gives him the call to say, go to Nineveh and call out against their evil because it has come up before me. What God is showing us through his characteristic and this call is that he will not let sin go unpunished. I mentioned earlier that the Ninevites and the Assyrian nation was a very evil nation and that eventually, a hundred years later, God does pour out his wrath on their evil and their sin. And one day he will ultimately do that for all of sin. For all those who have sinned and committed evil here on earth, even when it seems like they've gotten away with it. This verse in Jonah, as well as a totality of Scripture, shows us this truth that God is a holy, right, and just God. And He will not let sin and evil go unpunished. But this reality also shows us, as He won't let evil and sin go unpunished, He also won't allow the fracturing of sin in this world to have the last word. God's good character shows us that in his holiness and his righteousness, all of the evil and the sin that is done under the sun, all the moments where the wise and mistreated have lost out, where the wicked made their lives on more wickedness, all that will come to an end. And those who have been abused and victimized, they will finally see that evilness judged. All that sin has touched and destroyed and broken here on earth will be restored. And from this verse, we can see the character of God. And we can see that He is a good God that does not let this evil go unpunished. That He is a just God. And true justice will come from And I know right now that might be hard to hear because some of the justice that we long for, it it, it should be done here. But for those of you who have walked through injustices that just seem unfair, I want to give you that promise. I want to give you that hope that it will not go unpunished. Sin will not have the last word. This good and gracious God will. But I also want to give hope to those who are feeling the weight of sin and the fracturing of creation. If you're in a season where this fracture of sin that is apparent to you You can rest in a good God who will not let this sin go. Who will restore all things. And he is near to the brokenhearted. So cast your burdens on him. For he cares for you. He gives you this call. Come to him. All who are laboring and are heavy laden. And he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. For he is gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. God is a merciful God. And he will not let sin and evil go unpunished. And he will not let the fracturing of sin go without restoring it. And I know it's hard to see that right now if you're walking through it. But this is the hope that we have. This is why, like John, we can cry out and we do cry out, Lord, Maranatha, come quick. Because we long for the restoration of your kingdom. So Jonah shows us that we have a merciful God who does not let evil and sin have the last word. And we know this to be true because he says it, but he also shows it to us in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
where God's justice is most powerfully demonstrated and his wrath is fully satisfied. Christ took on what we rightfully deserve because of our sin. And for those of us who have placed our hope in him, we have now received his righteousness that has been imputed to us. And not only that, but because it's been given to us, we have the hope of eternal life. That because of Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf, we will one day live where all things have been restored. There will be no more pain, no more crying, no more sickness, and we will be healed fully, and the fracture of sin will be gone forever. This is what we can hope in. This is the character of who God is, this merciful God who loves to show his children mercy. And this is what I found hope in this week, that God is a merciful God who is relentless in showing mercy to his children. Even when we are reluctant to show mercy to others who calls us out of our comfort zones, and not only calls us out of our comfort zones, but calls us to a plan that He created before the foundation of the earth. I don't know if you want to think about something that might blow your mind, but God created a plan to save people, and He can and does save, but He calls us to be a part of it. Like, the best example that I can think of and that I've heard is that it's like take your child to work day every single day with God. Like he, he brings us alongside and allows us to partake. We also receive like blessings and, and, and our own glory as believers when we become or when we are part of this redemptive plan. It, I mean, to me, it's the craziest thing, right? Just think about that this week, that God would call you to be a part of this plan that he has already created and he does all the work. But we get to be a part of it. And Jonah shows us that, right? But we also see this merciful God who does not change and is good. He truly is good. And he will not let sin go unpunished. He will not let the fracturing of sin not be restored. And this is the God we worship. This is who Jonah is all about. This book is about God. And I pray that we would know more of who he is as we walk through this book in the next coming weeks. So one of the ways that, and, and I want to close with, with communion as we do. But one of the ways that we get to celebrate as well as be reminded of these truths that we just talked about. That God is a good God is by this means of grace that we as believers, when we take communion, when we celebrate what God has done, we are given this sign and this reminder that all that we saw in Jonah this morning, the characteristics of God's goodness and His mercy, we get to be reminded by this cup of juice and bread. It is the visual representation of the work of Christ and what he did for us on the cross. This representation of Christ breaking his body and shedding his blood is our reminder that whenever we take this communion, we are not only proclaiming that Christ has done this for us, but we are reminding ourselves of this grace and mercy that he has shown to us. And if you ever come in to church thinking, man, I just wish I had a sign or I just wish somebody would speak to me to say, like, you are forgiven, that God is merciful. As believers, we, we get that every week when we take this means of grace. It is your sign. Show you this is what Christ has done for you and you have been adopted into the family of God. So if you don't have the elements, go ahead and grab them now. And I'm going to instruct us once we sit back down and then we will take communion together. As I said earlier, communion is a time where we get to 
see this visual representation of what Christ has done for us. We get to partake with the body of Christ. But Paul gives us some instructions in regards to how our hearts should be as we take communion. Right? He, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that there is a time where we go before the Lord and we examine our hearts before we take this. Whether there is sin to confess, where there are relationships that need to be restored, as well as if any of you are in here and you have not placed your trust in Christ, Paul reminds us and tells us, examine your hearts. If you're not in Christ, don't take it. And if you are in Christ, celebrate what Christ has done. And if any of you are in here this morning and you have not placed your trust and hope in this merciful God, I, I would love to talk to you. Dwayne Ransford, we, we'd love to talk to you about this beautiful reality that we have with our union with Christ. But for those of us who have placed our trust in him, I'm going to give us some time to just examine our hearts, examine our posture before the Lord, and then we will celebrate together. So I'll give you about 30 seconds, and then uh, I'll read 1 Corinthians 11, and we can celebrate and worship what Christ has done for us. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what we do each week. We proclaim his death to ourselves as well as to those around us. So let's partake in communion and then we will worship, continue to worship in song together. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.